Hello, I'm Noelle C. Guevara, and welcome to the Find Your Calm podcast. If you're looking for space to take a deep breath, steady yourself, and discern what you need to move forward, you're right where you belong. Listen in for a few simple tips to find your calm and take your next faithful steps forward. As of the writing of this podcast, I'm sitting at a table on the beach. I'm just here with my daughter for a few days, and it's as peaceful as you'd imagine. No responsibilities, scenic views, time to rest. It's easy to connect with the people we love in the midst of peace and calm. It's so much harder in the midst of chaos. Do you ever struggle to connect with the people you love most, the people who are best able to help you when life gets chaotic? Solidarity to the stubborn independence out there. That struggle is real. Today, I'm going to share what I'm learning about how to better connect with your partner in crisis. And to practice what I preach, I'm inviting my husband, Matt, to talk about this with me. While we speak from the location of being married for almost 20 years at the time of recording, I think the concepts we'll share can apply to anyone seeking to do life with a partner. Whether your partner is a spouse, a village, a best friend, a parent, or any other partner in crime, you don't have to be romantically involved to lean on each other in chaos. You do have to be deeply committed to one another's flourishing. Truth be told, that can be hardest in the context of a marriage. Before Matt joins me here, let me give you a little history. Matt and I have known each other since we were literal children. We grew up together in every sense of the word. So we've navigated the chaos of life through friendship, dating, engagement, marriage, and parenting. The parenting part might kill us. Stay tuned. I'll never forget sitting in premarital counseling. We'd been dating for five years, so we felt pretty confident we had it all figured out. We took one of those premarital inventory tests and expected to pass with flying colors, which the pastor doing the counseling more or less told us we did, except for one problem. We had poor communication skills. You guys, we had no communication skills. We didn't know how to talk about feelings, expectations, or what we needed. We didn't know how to talk in the midst of conflict or trauma or pain. We were highly proficient in sarcasm and stellar at being passive-aggressive. So what else did we need? According to the pastor doing our premarital counseling, the rest would work itself out. It did not, in fact, work itself out. Every time we hit a crisis, our connection shifted like tectonic plates, fracturing our relationship. They were small shifts at first, so small we could ride them out, and then things would go back to normal. Translation, we were expert avoiders. But eventually those shifts turned seismic, and a few quakes rocked us to our core. We almost lost each other in the ground dropping out beneath us, and I don't say that cavalierly. It's part miracle, with sides of therapy and hard work that triaged our marriage, that healed each of us individually, and eventually, collectively. We've learned the hard way that staying connected to your person in crisis doesn't just happen naturally. It takes intentionality and effort and space that is holy ground. The relationships that we are most committed to are conduits of our sanctification. God does the hard and holy work there. So here goes nothing. I'm nervous-sighted, as my daughter Sophie says, to have Matt jump in with me and help me communicate how and why we stay connected in chaos as partners in crime and life. So I'm going to welcome Matt on here. He's sitting across from me. Um, Matt, welcome. Hey, 
Hi, Noel, and podcast listeners across the globe. Um, Matt, I'm, you know, four episodes into this podcast. What would you like people to know about you? Not like us, but you personally. I am uh, celebrating all sorts of things, being a husband, a dad, uh, running a small business, and a podcaster myself. There you go. Things we do for fun. Okay. So now that you know a little bit about Matt, um, here we are. I just shared that staying connected to your person or your partner in crisis uh, doesn't just happen naturally. And you actually articulated that really well when we were chatting about this the other day. So how'd you put it? I can't remember the person who shared this with me, but it's a well-represented principle that we never drift into help. Our natural tendency will be uh, it will never be to find our way into a healthy pattern of relational strength with one another. We will miss it when it's not there. We'll yearn for it, grasp for it. But the efforts to solidify communication and healthy connection don't happen on their own. Mm, that's really good. We never drift into health, which sounds really good, but it's so hard to like do the opposite, right? It's hard to notice that we're not drifting into health, or at least that was hard for us. So I'm just wondering, like, do other people do this naturally? And if you do, if you naturally drift into health, please come share your wisdom with us. But in the meantime, we're going to share a few simple ways we've learned to connect in chaos. I feel like we could write a book on this. Honestly, there are so many caveats that we could get lost in the weeds of different contexts. I will say that we're only going to talk about connecting through chaos or crisis that are caused by things outside of your relationship. It would be a whole different episode to talk about how to connect with each other in a crisis caused by one or both of each other. Connection looks different when the chaos is trauma or betrayal versus when it's everyday chaos of juggling work and kids and the like, I don't know, pandemic or whatever. I wrote a post a while back where I joked that we are like two ships passing, but not like regular ships, more like two ships carrying cargo on fire while also passing. And they may be shooting at one another. <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're, weapons are firing. Uh, there, there's certainly nuances that are sussed out depending on where you are. It's it's like the hallway in the old public school building or, or hospital. You'll see a telephone on the wall. That That's the first indication that you're in an old building. But there's a telephone on the wall with a sign that says 911. And then further down the hall, you'll see that red fire alarm that says fire, push in, pull down. And then in another spot, you'll see, in case of emergency, break glass. So there's different tools that you're going to use depending on the situation that you're in and just where you are in the hallway. So we've identified a few of those that can be applied in any context. Spoiler alert, none of them include date night. None of them. We are not anti-date night. We love date night. We do. But it's a privilege. It's not a fix-all. You can date your spouse and not connect. We've been on dates that sucked. That were terrible. Uh, a story for another time. You can connect and not date. right? So do the date night if you can, but either way, these principles can stand on their own. That's true. Okay, let's get started. Principle one, put the problem in the middle. This is something we've had to work really hard at. For whatever reason, okay, we know some of the reasons because we've done a lot of work around this as individuals. We tend to see problems as having fault or blame. I think, Matt, you might struggle the most with this. 
if I'm in a healthy place, I can sort of step outside of the situation and almost view the problem from outside myself, sort of a bird's eye view. This is one of many examples where Matt and I struggle with the ways we operate outside of gender norms. You'd expect the man to be objective and compartmentalized and the woman to respond more emotionally and personally, but this is not the case with us. Matt, why do you think this has been hard for us, either for you personally or for us? At some point in the journey, someone shared a phrase with me that made all the difference. He said that I will interpret things as fundamental about myself. So an issue is never separated from what it reveals about me and how I perceive you, Noel, how you feel about me. And that often leads to one of my core hangups, which is rejection. So when I feel that rejection, I have carefully and consistently developed over decades a response, and that's to trip over that hang-up, to feel intense hurt, and to lean into a habit, which for me is often to isolate, pull myself away from others, condense into a rock, which makes it really impossible to connect in the moment. Hmm. Things that I am learning on the podcast today. Um, <laughs> maybe I need like a follow-up episode where I talk about doing a podcast as being a way to learn how to connect with your spouse. Yes, pr principle number two, do a podcast episode on connection together. Yes, start talking more about your marriage. Okay, that's really helpful, honestly. Okay, um, so the reason we want to put the problem in the middle is because it allows us to take a team approach. We can work together on the problem, which allows us to remain connected. Think about the way you communicate with a teammate about a problem at work or on a volunteer team versus the way you communicate with someone who is causing a problem. One positions you with and the other positions you against. Putting the problem in the middle puts you and your partner on the same side. So you can name the problem, come up with creative solutions for either solving the problem or coping with it, and celebrate when the problem is solved. Or maybe it's just celebrating little milestones of survival along the way. So the next uh, principle is identify how you process, heart first or brain first. This was a really recent and world-changing revelation for us. We were hanging on for dear life, rocked by some pretty devastating news, and so we showed up to a session with our marriage therapist hoping for a lifeline. I remember him asking Matt a feelings question, which he answered really eloquently, and I can't even remember what our therapist asked exactly. Do you remember, Matt? Yeah, it was simple. He just said, how did that make you feel? <laughs> that was it. I struggled with the feelings <laughs> questions. <laughs> I can't remember. Okay, how did that make you feel? Yep. These things blow my mind. Um, and then he asked me the same question, and I couldn't answer which is very typical for me. And I've done enough work around this to know it just takes me some time. So I shared what I was thinking, what action steps I was taking, all the things. And then our therapist made an observation. It was really simple, but profoundly named a dynamic we've always had in our marriage and had never put words around. And that is when something happens, my feelings are very present. They're accessible to me right away. They're right at the top. You know, the, the, the cookies are they're right on the, the shelf at eye level, okay? And I can describe them. I can feel them. I often tear up or struggle to get words out. And for you, that just happens later. It's not that it never happens. Mm -hmm. It just happens later. Yeah, which touches on something that people often assume I don't have feelings 
because they're not there present in the moment. I really like the allegory of cookies on the shelf. Maybe I could access my feelings more quickly if I thought they were cookies. I'm constantly uh, uh, making um, a fool of myself when I try to interject. I'm sorry about that. It's, no, I like it. <laughs> I'm here for it. Okay, so back to this um, this naming that our therapist said. I don't, I don't even know why it was so earth-shattering because it should have been obvious. Um, but naming that you, that Matt, you felt things first and processed them uh, sort of intellectually and moved into action mode later, whereas I process intellectually and spring into action, then feel things later, was so incredibly helpful. And it really brought into focus for me that when it does finally hit my feelings, I actually do want to talk about it. But you've moved on by then, so I just feel stupid, which is totally my issue, but it helped to sort of uh, recognize and name it. It also brought into focus why I get so irritated. So sorry, but I do. I get really irritated when you ask me how I'm feeling on the front end. I am just not there yet. And trying to connect with me in that way just adds layers of pressure that you're not intending at all. I'm sure I have some stuff there to work through because as a woman, I do feel all the shame around not being emotional, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. So anyways, what did this bring into focus for you? We'll talk about this a little more in the next principle, but for me, it was understanding the need for support and then understanding that in the distance between us that was created in those times of crisis, as I was trying to reach out and do something that I thought would be helpful, was actually putting more space between us. And you weren't closing that gap, not out of you know, how you felt about me or even about the situation. It's just that those feelings weren't accessible at the time and we could have that conversation later. And it was a good thing to have that, uh, to have that conversation later and, and to wait. So that's what came into focus for me. So then at the end of the session, I remember our therapist asked if the fact that we processed differently or in a different order was a problem. And once we named it, it just suddenly wasn't problematic it doesn't bother me that, Matt, you feel things first. And when you share those feelings with me, I feel connected to you. As long as I don't have to reciprocate with sharing my feelings. Now we're working to just ride that wave. He feels, I think, then I feel, and he thinks. It actually works just fine for us once we identify it. And when we are in different places, we need to invite other people in who love and support us. Mm -hmm. Which brings us to the next principle, which is to expand your circle of support. So as we're having that conversation with our therapist, we mentioned that both of us had checked in with each other and asked if we'd reached out to our people. We both know who each other's people are, and we often encourage each other to reach out to them, especially when our energy reserves are low and we recognize that we can't be enough for the other person. I remember asking our therapist if that was bad. Aren't we supposed to be able to be there for each other? Isn't that what we promised in our vows 20 years ago? Yes and no. So our therapist explained to us that this sort of thinking where marriage is supposed to be a place where all of our needs are met, sounds the one that only Jesus can meet, of course, bless my heart, um, is pretty rooted in evangelical culture. I know I picked this up in the church somewhere along the way, but the truth is, that neither one of us can be everything the other one needs. I remember talking to my counselor about this, and he said, Matt, that's a recipe for disappointment. Mm, yes. When you are buying in to that evangelical notion that 
husband and wife need to be everything all the time for one another. And it's so weird because we felt like we were missing it when we relied on other people to stand with us, especially during times of crisis. And we weren't having some of those conversations on our own or, or we were having them at different times. I was texting my accountability guys, checking in. You were getting support from others, but we felt like there was a distance between us, which we talked about a moment ago, because what we were handed by our tribe was that husband and wife needed to be everything for each other all the time. And those clothes are ready to wear. They, you can put them on so easily. The, the French phrase is prêt-à-porter. All right. He speaks French, you guys. But, <laughs> but when you face difficulty, take time to name what you need and think through who you need it from. And this is why relationships in our family that come through church and recovery community, they're so vital. They're crucial because I cannot meet every need all the time for you. It doesn't mean we abandon one another so we can depend on our friends, but instead of frustrating one another, we found out we could make space for each other well. Mm, yeah, that was a huge learning for us. Honestly, a really recent learning for us. Um, the last principle we'll share is the one we struggle the hardest with. I think we've done this successfully mm, once. <laughs> and to be honest, it was really rough. So know that we share this from a place of learning, not expertise. We're figuring this one out as we go along. And honestly, we're unlearning and relearning and rooting out poor habits to plant and tend to new ones. Um, have you ever tried to drive your car out of a deep rut? You have to gun it, and it's not pretty. You usually overshoot and make a mess. And this is us over here, pedal to the metal, spinning our wheels, just trying to make it out of deeply ingrained patterns that are gross. So Matt, why don't you share this next principle? Hang in the conflict until you reach the other side. So at some point, we realized that we hung in the conflict just long enough to be really disappointed, angry, sad, or even just pissed off with, with each other. Oh, we're using naughty <laughs> words today. But, but not we didn't hang in long enough to get past those emotions and find, and find wholeness or resolve or connection. Yeah, so true. For years, we just jettisoned out of conflict as fast as humanly possible. We shut down, stormed off, sulked, avoided, ignored. I'm not going to tell you who did what, but suffice it to say, it was not it was not great. Okay, we sometimes we went on like this for days until the storm blew over and we could just pretend it never happened. Or sometimes I would close a circle. I got tired, I just couldn't bear the tension, and I would apologize, regardless of whether or not I had something to apologize for. I thought I was doing the humble or godly or right thing, but now I realize I was just avoiding conflict, and conflict is needed in a relationship. We're not great at this by any stretch, but at this point, we recognize our need to engage in this way, so it invites us to ask more questions of one another, better questions, and to use our emotional vocabulary more. Yeah, Matt's um, telling me to use my feeling words, uh, which is really hard for me. Um, we're working on it, guys. Okay, so we could probably go on forever, both because we've experienced so many crises in our years of being together. So many. So many. But um, also because we've basically done all the wrong things. And so we've had to work really hard to learn how to do them differently. Lots of practice. Uh, looking back at those hours in premarital counseling... If you could go back to that time and sit in that pastor's seat and give advice to the younger versions of us, what would you say? Uh, what I would say is different than what I would write down. What, what I would say is find a solid 
therapist and get involved in a local celebrate recovery or recovery type group where you could go through a step study and start doing the work. That is really critical. There's self-work that has to be done. There's work within a marriage that has to be done. And uh, start learning the emotional vocabulary um, that I spoke about a moment ago, which uh, that new HBO special that's uh, by Brene Brown is just really helpful in terms of giving people access to language, which is really the portal to help you uh, advance. And it re- that is what I would tell a young me. Get involved, start doing the work, uh, get into counseling. And those difficult things that you face don't have to break you. They, they can actually make you much stronger. Hmm. So Matt and I did not compare answers beforehand, um, but our answers ended up being more or less the same. Um, I would hands down tell the younger us to find a qualified marriage therapist who could help us build our toolkit, who could walk us through a genogram and give us some communication strategies and who could identify some of the ingrained patterns we couldn't even see. I think at that time, uh, therapy and research and the field of psychology in general was more or less taboo in the church, which stinks. I mean, it was, it stinks. So it's really hard for me to even imagine a pastor saying those words to us in that time. But I really wish he had. I really, truly, deeply grieve that he did not. That instead, he told us that we would be totally fine because we were so great and our parents were absolutely wonderful and they were still married without really knowing if any of that was true. And by the way, some of it was definitely not true. And it wasn't for lack of time. I I think we had to meet with this person like seven or nine different times. Mm -hmm. It was over and over again. And they sent us to meet with another couple as well. And I would say that time was largely a waste because we were given this completely paper foundation. That's how I would I would picture all the things that, that you just said, all the things that they gave us. It was just really empty hope. And it goes back to what I shared at the beginning. The advice was largely, don't worry. You will naturally drift into a healthy relationship. If there's a difficulty, don't worry. You will naturally drift into connection. But that was, that was far from the truth. And some of the encouragement I remember, I, I don't know if you remember this, but like just one of these things, it, he said, hey, if you ever need help, you know, in the intimacy department, hey, don't worry, you could just go to a grocery store and pick up the copy, a copy of the latest Cosmopolitan magazine. That was the, oh my gosh. that is what the pastor told us. If we ever needed help, that's what we were to rely on. And I, I look back at that and just think, wow, what a what a what an incredible, profound waste of time. Oh my gosh. I completely forgot about that. Oh my gosh. That wow. I don't even no words. Wow. <laughs> no feelings, words, no any words. Oh we'll talk gosh. about that later. We're gonna talk to our therapist about that later. Okay, what here's what I know to be true. Okay. What I know to be true about God is that he restores and redeems always. And he has restored and redeemed so much in and between us, not in a way that magically fixes everything, but in a way that touches wounds and heals them. Matt, it has been so much fun working with you on this project, on this podcast. For those of you who don't know this, uh, Matt works in digital marketing, so he's been a huge behind-the-scenes supporter of this podcast. He helped me develop a whole fancy plan and a timeline. He created my website. 
Uh, he handles the tech aspects of getting the podcast to an editor who happens to be my brother. Um, and then out into the world. So I love that we actually get to do an episode together. It is truly a miracle on so many levels that we are in a place where we can team up and talk about connecting with one another in crisis. I wouldn't have expected. Nope. Uh, certainly with uh, five years ago, four Mm-mm. years ago, we would we would be in this place. So I do celebrate that with you. And thanks for letting me join you today. Yeah, absolutely. Today, we're going to close with the liturgy. One small next step. Most days I find a prayer to be the most faithful step forward I can take. This uh, liturgy, it's taken from Every Moment Holy, Volume 1, which is um, really a lovely book. Um, And this liturgy is specifically titled A Liturgy for a Husband and Wife at Start of Day. But I think it's applicable to this episode in general. Um, So here it is. Make of our marriage a holy habitation, O God. Ever dwell in us and between us, teaching us how to be to one another a truer husband and a truer wife. Your mercy mediating, your love surrounding, your spirit quickening our hearts unto conviction, repentance, and forgiveness. Unto compassion, kindness, and generosity. That we would in tenderness seek always to know one another more and in tenderness allow ourselves to be more known. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for episode four of the Find Your Calm podcast. I'm hopeful it will help you find your calm so you can take faithful steps forward as you connect with your partner in the midst of crisis. Until next time, I would love it if you'd do me a favor. If you found today's episode or this podcast in general to be a helpful resource or companion, please rate, review, and share it. We put work and heart into this because I truly believe it's one way that I can use my voice and my experience to help others find their calm so that they can take their next faithful step forward. And to that end, I would love for more people to find it. By leaving a rating or review, you help it grow out there in the podcast world. By sharing it with a friend, either directly or through your social media account, you can help someone else find their calm. As always, you can connect with me on Instagram as Noel C. Guevara or come find me on the World Wide Web at noelcguevara.com. I'm so grateful to serve as your host and guide as we navigate the chaos of life together. Thank you.